Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today, we're going to talk about, we're going to discuss what God might be asking you to change your mind about. Now, some of you are going to know what I'm going to talk about for the first two or three minutes here. But even if you do, hang with me, because there's something that I think God wants all of us to consider today, something maybe new. We're going to go back to something old to begin with, though, to the Old Testament, to the book of Lamentations. The writer wrote this, Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. The Lord's acts of mercy do not end for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We used to sing that song at our group here in Lawrence, Kansas. Great is your faithfulness. They're new. Your mercies are new every morning. Well, what does it mean that God's mercies and God's compassion is new every morning? Well, of course, on a surface level thing, that means that Every day, we have grace and mercy and compassion for what happens that day. But in a greater, much deeper sense, I think it means that every day, if we're open, if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, we're going to discover new depths of God's love and grace and forgiveness and mercy, depths of who God is that we never knew before. Now, in order to be able to do that, Part of having ears to hear and eyes to see is being willing to let go of the old. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. You can't grab onto something new until you've released what you were holding to with the old and have an open hand to grasp the new. You can't put new understanding of God's goodness, grace, love, and mercy into the old box of religion, separation, a concept of an angry God. See, that's a mixed message, trying to put the new with the old. You get confusion, you have cognitive dissonance, it just doesn't make sense. Some of you are hearing this much later, but in the last message that I gave you all and that we recorded, it was Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, where we talked about Jesus finished everything. Now, Jesus, of course, was Jewish. He was sent to minister originally, primarily to the Jews, and to complete the work that God the Father sent him to do for all mankind. And as we discussed, he did complete it. He finished it all. Now, the Jews who he ministered to were under the old covenant, the law. The Hebrew scripture is called the law, what we call the Old Testament. The Old Testament was not written to us. It says that itself. It was only written to the Jews. The law was only for the Jews. But we can certainly learn from it. 
The Jews had an old covenant, and they got a new covenant with Jesus' finished work at the cross. You and I, and anybody who's been born since Jesus' finished work at the cross, never had an old covenant. We were never under the law. We all inherited the new covenant of the grace of God, the new covenant that Jesus ushered in in his finished work at the cross. The new covenant, a covenant, a will, last will and covenant, comes into effect only when the person who makes that covenant dies. And then the people that he named to be his inheritors inherit what was in that covenant or in that will. When Jesus died, he inaugurated the new covenant, which we are all beneficiaries are. It's our inheritance. We are Jesus' inheritance. He and his new covenant are our inheritance. Jesus completed his finished work 2,000 years ago. So now, what did Jesus and what does Jesus want to happen after Easter today? Well, I believe in great part what he wants us to do is to change our minds about what religion, starting with the Old Testament and unfortunately still carried on today, what religion has taught us about God. Change our minds from that and believe the truth that he, Christ in us, teaches us personally and directly. There's a difference between teaching and imparting. You can learn something intellectually and you can teach it to someone else. Arguably, you can even teach it if you don't comprehend it all yourself. But imparting is taking what God has directly revealed to you and imparted to you, and then imparting that specific revelation, that mystical revelation to other people. That's different than teaching. Now, when Jesus was here on earth, he said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And most all of you listeners know, as I said earlier, repent's a terrible translation of the Greek word metanoia. What the original word meant is change your mind. Jesus said, change your mind because the kingdom of God is here right now and it's in you right now. Change your mind about the kingdom of God thinking, change your mind about thinking it's somewhere out there in the distance up there uh, that maybe you can get if you do the right things. No. The kingdom of God is in you right now, and the kingdom of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is pure light, pure love, pure grace, pure joy, pure peace, with no darkness. Now, again, most of you know that in general. Just a little brief refresher course there. Specifically, I think Jesus today is asking me and all of us to ask him, the Holy Spirit of Christ in us, what we might need to change our mind about today, each day, many times during the day. See, this is not a one-time deal where you change your mind about God and you've got everything figured out. As Augustine said, he got a few things right. As he said, whenever you think you've got God figured out, it's not God because God is infinite infinitely good. We can never, ever grasp or comprehend or figure out or understand how good God really is. But we can get more and more revelation every day if we're willing to change our mind and let go of what we believed before. And what we received really is new life in Christ. Now, 
What's the most important thing in life? Well, different people are going to answer that differently. I believe, at least for me, the most important thing in life is what I believe about God, because that affects everything. Wouldn't it be the greatest tragedy of all to believe the wrong things about God, not believe the truth, to be believing lies, and to stubbornly hang on to those wrong beliefs and continue to dogmatically defend those wrong beliefs even when you're presented the truth by God himself. That's what Jesus did with the religious people in his days. He, God himself, showed them what God is really like, but they didn't want to believe it. They stubbornly hung on to their false beliefs of what God was like. I recently heard, actually, this was at a local church at Easter time, and I understand that the the pastor there, he's a wonderful guy, wonderful people there, I think misinformed uh, and ill-advised in some ways. He taught about why Jesus had to be perfect, why he had to be a perfect sacrifice, because only that, in his understanding, would satisfy the wrath of God, who is perfect and who had been horribly offended. Well, what if that whole premise, that whole belief is not true? What if Jesus actually demonstrated God's perfect love by allowing us to do what we did to him, not stopping us, and instead forgiving all of that evil, taking it upon himself, and including and forgiving and loving us all unconditionally? What if we have the wrong opinions about God and ourselves and other people? Papa asked me this question one day this week. He said, Paul, are you in love with your own opinions? Wow. Talk about a penetrating question. You know, today we're still in the midst of the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic, but there's a worse virus than that. The worst virus, in my opinion, is the hellish view of elder brotheritis. Elder brotheritis. It has caused a religious pandemic that has affected far more people and done way more damage than COVID-19 or the bubonic plague or anything else. Elder brotheritis comes from the older brother in Luke 15. It's having your mind made up, your own opinion of what God is and should be like, and holding on to that, defending it, and getting bitterly angry at God when God himself shows you that your opinion, your mindset is not true. Did you ever notice people, and again, people aren't the enemy, but the enemy's done a job. When religious folks, and I was there, I'm talking to myself here, when religious folks dogmatically hold on to their beliefs about hell and God, the angry sky God, the small g fictitious God that's keeping a record and can't stand it, when people hear something different, they can get very angry and bitter and not want God to be like that. That's what they did when they encountered Jesus. That's what they did to the Apostle Paul. Jesus' message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning change your mind about what the kingdom of God is, who God is, who you are, who all people are. Change your opinion. Now, opinion is a word I want to focus on a little bit today. If Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you, 
who always testifies about Jesus, reveals something to you that's contrary to your own opinion and your own deeply held belief, who are you going to take sides with? Your spirit, when you hear something true, your spirit will resonate with the truth, God's truth, the spirit of God in you. But your mind, your ego, your self-life, your flesh, that has a lot invested in your own opinions, will fight the spirit tooth and nail. I recently saw a great video, real touching video of babies, you know, probably six, nine, 12 months old, maybe, who couldn't see. They were sight impaired. And then through some tests and some right prescriptions and stuff, doctors were able to create glasses that would help them see for the first time. And these videos showed their parents carefully putting those glasses on them. And the babies fought that. I mean, they, you know, they didn't want it on there. They're fighting, they're pushing it away and all of that kind of stuff. But then when they get them on and they first see, and they see that smiling face of their mom or dad or, you know, a, a sibling or whatever, they see the joy they see for the first time. Then it's great astonishment and joy and bliss and smiles and laughter and reaching out to embrace. I mean, it's pure love and action. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to do that with us. So the Holy Spirit's been saying to me, Paul, ask me every day, sometimes many times a day, what I want you to change your mind about, metanoia. See, Jesus said that nobody on earth, nobody, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, and he said, nobody knew the Father and Jesus on their own. The only way we know them is by them divinely revealing to us who they are. They are the teacher with a capital T in us. So who's going to be your teacher? Who's going to be my teacher? John wrote this in 1 John 2.25, the mirror translation. He says, this is the essence of the life of the ages which Jesus announced and purposed from the beginning. My intention with this writing is to nullify the influence of those who wish to unsettle you. He said, I'm convinced that the effect of his touch within you is permanent. This is the Christ anointing that teaches you all things so that you do not need any teacher whose doctrine does not resonate with truth. Deception cannot compete with spirit resonance. You do not need any teacher whose doctrine does not resonate with truth. Experience that we have personally with God himself revealing things to us always trumps head knowledge or information we get from any teacher whose doctrine doesn't resonate with the truth. John goes on to say, so now, just like an infant in a mother's embrace, abide in this place of innocence where his manifest appearance is meant to be fully realized and echoed in unashamed utterance. In his immediate presence, there exists no sense of shame or any form of separation goes on to say, to perceive God's righteousness as defining his I amness concludes that everyone born of him inherently partakes of the same pattern and poetry that his righteousness inspires. Righteousness is our true genesis. 
It's not something we achieve or try to be or strive to be or work up. No, it's who we have been since before the beginning of time. So John, Jesus' close friend, who was first taught by Jesus in person for three and a half years, then by the teacher, the Holy Spirit of Christ in him for another 55 years before he wrote these things, tells us that Christ himself in us will teach us. Now, the Apostle Paul was a former champion of the law, a religious zealot who had a totally incorrect concept of God. He had opinions of God that he defended vociferously, violently. (laughs) But he had this encounter with God himself who revealed Christ in him from the beginning, and he was willing to change his opinion and continually change his opinion as God revealed more and more to him. Then Paul started this church in Galatia, and then after he was gone, Judaizers, teachers of the law, religious people came in and were trying to, they were teaching a mixed message saying, yeah, yeah, this Jesus thing is fine, but you still got to keep all these laws. You got to keep the Old Testament. You're under the law. So Paul wrote to them saying, no way. Let me explain what's happening. Here's what he wrote in Galatians 5, 13 to 26. Now, I've taught on this before. You've heard this before, but there's something that I think may be new today uh, that's going to help you and me both. Uh, This is from the Passion Translation, Galatians 5, 13 to 26. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom, but don't view this wonderful freedom as an excuse to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. The natural realm, our five senses, is where destructive religion operates from and wants us to believe its lies so it can control us. It's the very same destructive evil power that got Adam and Eve to believe the lie that God was mad at them, keeping a list of their wrongs, was separate, was going to punish them, that they needed to be afraid, they needed to hide, and they needed to do things to try to get right with it. Instead, Paul says, don't don't go by that. Instead, constantly love each other and be committed to serve one another. It says, for all the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. Now, I'm going to really get into that next week. But Paul is really cutting to the chase here. And I'm going to use these next few verses in Galatians 5 to sort of net this out for you, because it seems to me like this is where we are today. Verse 15. He says, if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. And Brian Simmons, the the translator of the Passion there, says in his footnotes that both the Aramaic, which Jesus spoke and Paul spoke, and the Greek manuscripts read biting and devouring, which is a metaphor for critical attitudes that will destroy fellowship. Minor issues are the doctrines of religion that religion makes major issues in its concept. Verse 16, he says, let me emphasize this. As you yield to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. 
When your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit, you hinder Him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your self-life from dominating you. So then there are these two incompatible and conflicting forces within you. They are your self-life, the flesh or the ego, and the new creation life of the Spirit. When you yield your life to the life of the Spirit, you will no longer be living under the law, but soaring above it. He says, now, the behavior of the self-life is obvious. And we're going to zero in on something here in the last few minutes. The behavior of the self-life is obvious. Well, some of these things are obvious to us, but I've found that some aren't. Here's some obvious ones. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography. I mean, those are obvious, right? Chasing after things instead of God. Well, we got to do a little thought about that, really. Manipulating others. Hmm. Hatred of those who get in your way, maybe politically or governmental-wise or attitude-wise or hmm, senseless arguments. Paul said senseless arguments come from the flesh. They get in your way. And he didn't even have a Facebook page with people, <laughs> you know, going after senseless arguments all the time. Resentment when others are favored. Hmm, that, that wasn't always so obvious to me. Resentment when other people get favored. Hmm. You mean it's okay when those people get God's unconditional love, grace, and inclusion, just like me, who's given up so much and worked so hard? <laughs> Some other things that are Paul said are obvious. Temper tantrums and angry quarrels. Well, yeah, that, that's obvious. Only thinking of yourself, he said. Hmm. I kind of spent all my life only thinking of myself. Is there something wrong with that? Well, how about this one? Here's what I want to zero in on. It's obvious, Paul says, that this comes from the self-life, the ego, the flesh. Being in love with your own opinions. Wow. Being in love with your own opinions, Paul says, is not from the Holy Spirit in us. It's from our ego, our self-life, the flesh. But Paul, I, I, I've got all these religious things figured out now. I, I got a degree in theology. I've got all the right doctrines. I'm a party line person. I know what God is like and what God is not like. I got my opinions on these and they're all based on what I've been taught by religious. Here's another one. Being envious of the blessings of others. Yeah, well, maybe I got a little problem there. Here's some others that are obvious. Murder, uncontrolled addictions. Oh, I got that. I, you know, I haven't murdered anybody. Don't have any uncontrolled addictions, or do I? Well, wild parties. Oh, well, wait a minute. Uh, Paul, what's your definition of wild? I mean, didn't Jesus, in his first miracle, go to a six-day party and provide more wine than the peaceable people could possibly drink for six days? And there was dancing and drinking and revelry and, you know, high-fiving and storytelling and jokes and stuff every day for a week? <laughs> yeah, well. And then, just in case Paul left anything out, he says, and all other kinds of similar behavior. Then he contrasts those things with the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. He says, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you, not something we work up, try to achieve or anything. The fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you, he says, is divine love in all its varied expressions. 
Now, I want to specifically think here about changing our minds, if we need to, that God's saying that to you. I mean, this is the fruit of the Spirit that he goes on to list here. This is what God's like, and God is divine love with all its varied expressions. And as John tells us, God is pure love, perfect, and pure light with no trace of darkness. So tie those together. Paul and John say, the fruit of the Spirit is love in all its many expressions. Here's what God is like. He may be asking us to change our opinion about some of these because we may have thought he's not like this. God is joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. God is love in all of those expressions and more that never fails, that has no limits, that doesn't exclude anyone, that includes everyone. Do we really believe that that is what God is like with us and with everyone, even those people? Or, in our opinion, do we have an opinion that God's not really like that? Do we need to let the teacher in us show us the truth and be willing to let go of areas that we've thought God is not like that and be willing to change our minds? Paul goes on to say, never set the law above these qualities for they are meant to be limitless, unconditional, without limit, never ending, never failing. He says, never let anything from religious law, doctrines of man, trump or be above or override these qualities. Never think, here's what we've got to be willing to let go of. Never think, well, yes, God is good, but no, let go of that. Well, yes, God is full of joy, but he can also get angry. No. Yes, God is gentle and peaceful and kind, but he's got this terrible wrath. Let that go. It's not true. Well, yes, God is patient, of course, but his patience has a limit. Let that go. Change your opinion. It's your opinion that God has limits in all of these things. God is pure love with no trace of darkness, pure light with no trace of darkness. Any other opinion that anything less is not from God. <laughs> all right. When Jesus died at the cross, we died to all of that. We just don't know it in, in many areas, but God's continually revealing that to us every day. So he finishes up by saying this, verse 24, keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus Christ have already experienced crucifixion for everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. If the Spirit or since the Spirit is the source of our life, we must also allow the Spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. That way, we won't be arrogant or look down on one another, because each one of us is an original. We must forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. Let go of all of those things. So here's my closing thought to consider for myself and for all of us. Ask grace the teacher, the Holy Spirit of Christ in you, to show you what opinions you may still be holding on to tight-fistedly that God wants you to let go of for your benefit and for others 
and instead believe in and take sides with his opinion of himself, of you, and everyone. Hey, everybody, thanks for being with me. Hope that's helpful. Next time, we're going to talk about even going a little deeper with this. It's going to be great, so I'll look forward to being with you then. See you next time. Love you all. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.